San Francisco 49er to a Spectrum 48. Edward Thomas is a rider, better check him on his cates. Your date ain't got no dates? Persistent while you wait? Scaling comparisons, paling forwards like Harrison's Millennium Falcons on my chase. You know there's some pairs of them. Loosely coupled, that's the fairest one. Three little bears while I'm eating porridge, while I'm reefing storage. Grim like Fat Boy Slim. Praise your Rockefeller skank. Waka Sellers, that's Peter. Got this clue, so stitching ranks or stripes. Bear heavy like Mike's. Metallica riff off a head feel like that tick in the Sam Man solo boarding that plane. Concepts here in your fame. Nonsense. We on it like Bruce Lee on Bolo. Yeah. Uh, our meetup number twenty one. Um, for anybody who is new to our community, um, we have we are the Date on Kubernetes community. Our website is dok.community. We're also on Twitter. We're also on LinkedIn. We have a Slack. We're doing these meetups every week to share different ideas with different folks from all over the world, talking about how to solve problems, how to deal with this whole approach of moving data onto Kubernetes. Um, and that's exactly what we're going to be talking about today with, uh, with Edward. I would always like to, to remind everyone as well, too, if someone is interested in giving a talk, all you have to do is reach out, contact me, even here in the chat as well. I'd be happy to, to get names, email address, et cetera. We have different formats. We have meetups. We also do podcasts. We're also now creating resources or resources, animated videos, all kinds of different stuff. Um, we also like to mix in culture, music, like I said earlier as well, different local languages to really embrace all the different diversity that we have in our community of, I don't even know how many country, countries are represented, um, how many people we have. Uh, we've got around 270 people now from probably, I would say at least 15, if not 20 countries, which is super cool. And very, very exciting for me being able to meet all these wonderful people from, from different parts of the world. So with that being said, the wonderful person who we have with us today is Edward. Um, and I would like Edward, first of all, just to, if you can just introduce yourself about uh, who you are. Edward works at a company called Plain Concepts. You recently informed me that they are now around 300 employees. They've grown very, very quickly. And Edward, can you just tell us about, you know, who you are, what you're doing at Plain Concepts, and also, you know, what Plain Concepts does? Yes, sure, sure. I work in the Barcelona office of Plain Concepts. We are around 80 people, more or less, in the office, okay? And my you know job title is principal tech lead but what i really do is um, consultancy services training services and helping helping customers uh, and um, helping people on the teams to be sure that um, we have a good quality with technical quality projects and my specialty is um, cloud okay so my typical job in plain concepts is helping customers to embrace the cloud okay uh, we in plain concepts are a service company what we do is basically software for customers a specific software for solving customers needs and also uh, we like to um, help customers to, you know, embrace new technologies or uh, doing lift and shifts or modernizing applications or um, developing uh, new cultures, like, for example, embracing DevOps and cloud native and whatever. So I'm 
my specialty is basically try to help the customers to embrace the cloud. And mm -hmm. that means not only Kubernetes, okay? That means uh, PIS services from Azure. We mostly work in Microsoft technologies, okay? So we mostly work in Azure. Also, we have some customers in AWS and Google Cloud and Alibaba also. Right. Okay, but our focus, our most customers are in are in Azure, and my job is okay. Help these customers to to do any to put or start embracing the cloud, new projects in the cloud, or put the existing workloads that they have in the cloud, and Kubernetes is just one of the options that um, I usually work on. Okay, good. And but before that as well too. I mean, how did you start getting? How did you start working in technology in general? Um, I, I, since I was a child, okay, mm -hmm. because I had the, I have to say the luck that my father was a bit ticky, okay, and he bought me a computer when I was, I think, maybe three years old or something like that. Okay. Was this the Spectrum 48 you mentioned? In... No, the Spectrum 48 came of three or four years later, okay? okay. It was not really a, it wasn't really, wasn't really a customer uh, computer, it was a console, I think that was a video pack, the Magna Odyssey 2, but uh, it came with a keyboard, okay? So, and uh, a cartridge that you can start programming, doing very simple things, okay? Yeah. And I think that just um, being able to type things and, okay, I was just a child by just playing, start playing. Um, I think that, that, um, used to me to use computers okay and and then he bought me the spectrum when i was seven years old more or less okay. and uh in these times there were a magazine called micro hobby i think that uh, you had um uh, every week or every month i don't remember uh, they put the source code of a very basic game that you can copy the code and play the game and that was oh so if I put, if I copy this code, I can play the game. Maybe I want to learn to do that. Okay, okay that was the thing that, and then I, I, I started learning basic, then C, C++, and then uh, I, st I go to the university. Yeah. And then I started to work in consultancy. I have been my whole life working in different consultancy companies. Okay, good. And now another thing as well, because we got a little bit of background about how you start out with tech. But something else from uh, from reading your your Twitter profile is that you also have some other hobbies, right? Apart from, I mean, you know, tech is obviously your your work, your passion, your profession. You also mentioned that you're into role playing games. Yes, yes. Uh, I have to say that I don't play a lot anymore, for due to time luck, <laughs> you know. Okay, but uh, yes, I I played a lot um, when I was younger. When I basically when I had more times with uh, with some friends that um, every week, the Friday's night were mm -hmm. our role play night. And we playing, basically, we start playing the Lord of the Rings, okay. but uh, then we make the jump to Rollmaster, okay. uh, Dungeons and Dragons, uh, Paranoia. And we also some have a lot of fun playing um, live role playing game that's called Killer when you try to kill all the the rest of players. So very I funny. Think, I think we will have to play that sometime in our community. <laughs> <laughs> now with that though as well. Okay, so we've got a little bit about your like your personal interest. We'll touch on some more of those later. 
but then also with tech. Okay. So I just, what I wanted to take from this is with the idea of, you know, role playing, playing a role, we're talking about mentality mindset, putting yourself in a certain mode, right? Um, yep. When did you start working with Kubernetes and how do you feel that your mentality had to change when you started working with it? I started working in Kubernetes due to, you know, requirements when from working with Microsoft Corporation, they wanted to uh, start promoting Kubernetes. They was not AKS at this time, okay? They was ACS, the name that they given. And and they wanted us to, we, we usually collaborate with Microsoft and they requested us to do some demos, okay? Mm -hmm. To, to showcase the, uh, you know, the Kubernetes and uh, all the things that ACS were capable to do. Um, so uh, prior to that, I just started to investigate uh, Kubernetes, but not only Kubernetes, we were in, you know, the container wars be between Mesos and Swarm and Kubernetes. So I was just looking all of three, just trying to understand um, what they did, what was the difference between using plain Docker Compose and was using these products, uh, everything. So I, I was on the wave probably, okay, but I didn't really do any deep learning or investment on, on, on those platforms. Then this project, when this project appeared, I, I need to do, uh, you know, uh, learning and straight to well, reading documentation, start to learning, practicing and doing everything with uh, Kubernetes, okay. And I like it. I like it. I like it. The product. I like it. The ideas. Okay. And yes, it's. Um, I don't know. Um, I don't know how to answer what was my my mentality change because I think that was very very gradual. Okay. Um, I was a very long process probably for me to took a very long time because I started with very simple things and then I going to more complicated things. I think that one of the problems that a lot of customers are facing today when they are going to jump to Kubernetes is that they want everything at the first place right. and Kubernetes is is hard to enter. You have, 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 at least for me, I think it has a good uh, ramp to, to really dominate uh, everything, all the concepts, okay, I start, I, I, I was saying the same things, you need to stop thinking in processes, you need to stop thinking in containers, you need to start thinking in pods, which is a different concept, okay, it seems the same, but it's not the same, and, and you need to start thinking all the primitives that Kubernetes have, Kubernetes is low level, I usually talk with a lot of developers that they talk about APIs and, and webs and no, no, Kubernetes is not that, Kubernetes is lower than that because you need to think about uh, things like services and how they related to your pods and how do you want to scale that and how do you want to deploy that, so there are a lot of things that most developers aren't aware of and I think that's uh, one of the problems that I found most. I think this is good. And once again, a beautiful relation to the fact that you mentioned earlier, the Lord of the Rings. It's not so simple. It's just taking a ring and throwing it into the fires of Mount Doom. There's a long process to get there. Yeah. <laughs> so you know, be prepared to, to enjoy the adventure. And that's something else to embrace. I think that's good. Okay, cool. So next thing we want to think about. Um, when, uh, what was the most problematic part for you when dealing with traditional databases in Kubernetes? Uh, scaling. Scaling, 
Scaling is hard in traditional databases out of Kubernetes. <laughs> okay. Um, but was a thing that, okay, everyone knew that was hard and what solved using the the pattern that each database have, okay? But when then you go to uh, Kubernetes, uh, scaling databases, I think that's very hard because it involves uh, uh, a lot of things that work together. Um, like, okay, you know, it's not only the, the where we will store the data, okay? It's not only the data will be stored here or here or here, okay? Uh, it's always how we want to spin up new replicas or how we want to spin down new replicas. So you went uh, having to learn a lot of concepts like, okay, what are the stateful sets? What are the hitless services? What are these PV, PVCs, storage classes? Then uh, maybe you need to learn how to autoscale that if it makes sense. Oh, put the horizontal pod autoscaler or maybe a vertical pod autoscaler. So uh, there are a lot of concepts that work together Okay, but they are separated, uh, but related, and and it's very hard uh, for people to trying to understand uh, understand that. And it's easy to make mistakes and not be aware of that. That because because it's very easy to put a single pod that is running your MySQL or your Postgres or whatever, and everything seems to work. And maybe uh, you can put a persistent volume on that. And okay, I have my data stored uh, in the cluster, but is this persistent volume is well configured? Where is really the data? Okay, uh, because it's very easy to end up with a persistent volume that maybe stores the data in the node. Okay, and then and something happens and the port uh, and the pot is uh, scheduled in another node and no longer fins the data so there are a lot of, of uh, casuistics that you need to understand all right good now with that in mind what tools have been helpful for you when working with data on kubernetes you mentioned in your speaker profile about some experience with uh, storage os or perhaps other tools like openb open ebs anything open you want to comment on yeah. that yeah yes um i have to say that these tools uh, help a lot, but um, from my opinion, there are, um, I don't know how to say that, probably uh, another maturity level that most of the customers that I work on really have, okay? Because uh, these tools like OpenEBS, Contain, um, Storage OS, okay, that basically provides you like a data cluster which always scales and replicates and oh you know the contain the, the cast pattern okay for dealing with data uh, they are very helpful okay um, and probably uh, they can really solve more uh, the most problems that you have but I think that they require a level of maturity in Kubernetes. So you need to be comfortable yourself with Kubernetes. You need to make sure that you understand the basic building blocks of Kubernetes without dealing with these tools, okay? And um, most of the customers I work on, I am working with helping them with adopting Kubernetes, okay? So I usually don't go with these tools on the first place, okay? Another thing is, okay, because uh, and that's important. One of the keys of our relationships as plain concepts with our customers is that we don't want that our customers depend on us. So our goal is to help the customers and then let it go. Okay, so okay, um, that is not we will build all that stuff for you and then you you won't know how that works. Um, you won't know how to manage that. You won't know how to scale that. Okay, no, no, we will 
build everything that you need, okay? But also we will teach you, we will show you how to operate, manage, monitor everything, okay? Because we don't want that you need us, okay? We want to be your partners in a, in a period of time, but our goal is to make you um, self-sufficient, uh, okay? The, that you can do everything by yourself, okay? And that means that most times we have to do things very incrementally. Okay, we have to start with very build, very basic building blocks, and then going uh, uh, in iterations. Okay, making everything more really complicated or complex or or clone native aware. Also, we have a lot of customers that they don't really have a clone native applications. They are just embracing Kubernetes right now. Some of them are embracing Kubernetes because um, they want to know what Kubernetes is. It's like a hype right now, okay? Everything wants to go to Kubernetes and they want to, 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 to try Kubernetes, but, they, but, but the applications that they have are not really clone native applications, are basically legacy applications and they want to just put this legacy API or this legacy web or this maybe two or three service, services that they had in a single server on Kubernetes to start working with that and understand uh, what Kubernetes can provide them and 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 everything. So maybe it's a level, it's a different maturity level. This is a good point. And so, like you said, a lot of what you're trying to do is what can we do to work ourselves out of a job so that there's not that sort of dependency. And we'll talk a little bit that about later. We'll talk about that a little bit later on related to vendor lock-in because that's something we talk about a lot too mm -hmm. um, with Kubernetes. Is something that permits hybrid cloud, multi-cloud. Actually, it's funny. It's because the first time I had that conversation about hybrid cloud and multi-cloud, I think it was probably in two, it was, was with Ivan Landa, your, your coworker in around yeah. 2016, 2017. And they're, and they're explaining those, those ideas. Something else I want to ask you though, too, because a lot of this, when we're talking about use cases, business cases, is it uncomfortable sometimes to tell a customer that they have a legacy application and that they're not cloud native yet? Yes. Um, so basically sometimes, um, well, the the sometimes I ha I I say to the custom the customers, okay, let me be honest with you, okay? Maybe that's not good for me, okay? But I have to say that you shouldn't adopt Kubernetes right now because it will hurt you. You won't get really any benefit as using Kubernetes because for if for the thing that you want to do to deploy this only kind of, of, of applications, trust me, is easier to go with, I don't know, with an app service or the Beanstalk or everything that going to Kubernetes, which has a lot of complexity and we will get no advantage really because your application is not ready to handle what the all the benefits that Kubernetes can give to you, okay? And that's one thing uh, some customers say, oh, okay, so maybe in this case, um, we can go with the other way. Uh, other customers say, no, no, we want to test Kubernetes, so we want to do that in Kubernetes, okay, then uh, let's, uh, let's go. And sometimes we also do like a long-term um, backlog. Okay, okay, we will put that, but then if you want to really uh, use Kubernetes in a full way, maybe we should start working how we can transform, uh, we can refactor your application to a really cloud native approach. Okay, and we are working in some customers in that way too. All right, very good. Now, um, does Azure offer um, any different features compared to other cloud providers on um, managed Kubernetes uh, AKS? 
I think that at least as far as I know for the three big providers, uh, Amazon and Google and Azure, I think that they are very similar, okay? One of the advantages to go with uh, managed Kubernetes uh, has to deal also with that um, that you talked before about the cloud independency and multi-cloud and hybrid cloud and, and, and all the stuff. But it's important to understand that sometimes um, part of the advantages of this uh, managed Kubernetes are the integration with the cloud platform that they belong to. For example, in AKS, you can integrate the AKS security with Azure security. Okay, so instead of managing uh, roles using the Kubernetes RBAC, you can use Azure RBAC uh, pattern to deal with users, permissions, and um, all that stuff, okay? Uh, also, you can integrate all the users into Active Directory. So in this case, you are going against the, the multi-cloud and, and um, cloud independency, but most customers that we have, they use Azure and they plan to use only Azure. Okay, mm -hmm. so probably they want all these features, okay? Um, we have, other customers that they are adopting Kubernetes because of this cloud independency or maybe hybrid cloud or maybe multi-cloud approaches. Okay, and uh, in this case, I don't think that's really a very, very, very big difference between AKS, uh, AKS or the Google, the GKA. Okay, I think that they are very similar on, on what they can do. Okay. They have minor differences about the versions of Kubernetes they, they support, some things that are easier with one than uh, the other, but more or less, I think that, you know, they are, they are spinning each other. <laughs> oh, no, so. definitely. Yeah, 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 no, I think, I, think that's, I think that's very, very true. Now, in terms of your experience, because also at the beginning, just for maybe some of the folks who arrived a little bit later, your company, Plain Concepts, works in many different countries, right? In terms of the ones that I know off the top of my head, Spain, UK, I think also in Dubai, you had an office or not? Uh, yes, commercial office in Dubai. Okay, uh, also in the United States, particularly working close to Redmond, Washington, Seattle. Um, yep. And then additionally in the Netherlands and perhaps in other places. So, so you've worked with different customers in, in different areas, right? What's yep. the biggest war story that you have related to, <laughs> to Kubernetes with data on Kubernetes specifically? Um, that, that you think you, where you know, I'm never going to forget this. What's, what's been something really challenging or difficult you had to deal with? Hard to say, hard to say, okay? Because at least um, right now, the hardest thing are not like Kubernetes itself is because sometimes we're in the middle. We are in the middle, sometimes in a fight or in a, because a, a typical situation that happens with us is maybe we um, get a call from a customer from an IT department. Oh, um, we have that. Uh, we have deployed that in Kubernetes, and that doesn't work. That doesn't scale. Um, we are losing a lot of money. That doesn't work. We have uh, data loss. Everything that uh, you can imagine. Okay. And uh, then we, okay, maybe start working. We start um, doing our uh, analysis. Sometimes it's hard because uh, the customer itself is reluctant to give you all the information that you need because you know the SLAs, but not only SLAs, it's uh, sometimes operational things. Uh, well, some, sometimes it's hard to find that, uh, that uh, information. Uh, some other times, uh, 
uh, you are in the middle between the customer and their um, provider, okay, maybe some other developed something to put on Kubernetes and this thing doesn't scale very well and you need to to understand what's happening, okay? Who is the culprit? Maybe it's the fault of the, the, the IT department of the Kubernetes configuration. Maybe it's the one who did the, the APA, okay? We have a case recently about an APA that scaled very, 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 very bad, okay? And it's a bit complicated. And sometimes it's because you don't have all the information, okay? And sometimes you need to you need to give some advices and, and and you don't you don't know exactly what you should do because you don't you don't have all the ownership. And one thing that we always try to do is to have the ownership of 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 the the project, if you want to say that, okay? Because if not, it's very hard, okay? And 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 we have some you know battles uh, uh, about that. And another interesting thing that happened is we are helping a customer right now to make a transition to Kubernetes. They are very new on Kubernetes, but not new only on Kubernetes. They are new on Docker, okay? And uh, they have a plan and they want to replace all infrastructure that they have uh, right now on premises to Kubernetes uh, next year. Okay, and as you can imagine, this is very, very, very hard because it's a big company. There are a lot of people. You need to talk with a lot of people. You need to do some decisions about how you will implement uh, everything, everything about uh, not only the Kubernetes itself, how you will distribute the clusters, how you will uh, create the backups, how you will put the security, everything. Okay, and sometimes you don't have all the information because uh, one day, in a meeting, a new person pops up, uh, someone that you never seen before, and say something, and you say, "This changes everything." You know, so uh, we are dealing with this kind of things. I understand what you mean, and I think that probably happens to you know other people. And as you said, particularly in the context of big companies where you have these email chains with fifteen people and copy, yeah. and all of a sudden one gets added, and all these dynamics can go differently. So I guess the advice would be after these war stories is. Try to ask for as much information as possible in the very beginning, asking the right questions. Are there any particular questions that you would say, definitely remember to ask about Yes, this? yes. Who is the owner of each thing? Who is the owner of, um, first, uh, if, for example, if we are using a Kubernetes as a executional platform, as a platform to deploy all the workloads of a company, okay, mm -hmm. which are those workloads? Who is the owner? of uh, each workflow, okay? Um, sorry, workflow, workload, okay? And um, who will operate then? So who is the DevOps or whom, who will do the DevOps tasks? How are these DevOps organized in the company, okay? Uh, and also who is the owner of the data? Who is the one that will manage the data? Who is the one that is responsible to make the backups and uh, everything? Because uh, a thing that I always ask when dealing with data is, uh, for example, what is your um, data recovery plan? Okay, uh, and sometimes uh, I'll, it's, it's, it's very curious, but there are a lot of customers that no, no, um, we don't have that defined. Okay, so we need to define a data. We need to define a data recovery plan. We need to define what happens if your cluster crashes and what is your SLA that you need. So, what are the SLA that you need to offer for all the workloads that you have in the cluster? Okay, so that are the things that you need to understand before before say maybe uh, maybe you can go with a single cluster. Maybe you need 
more clusters. Maybe you need a, I don't know, a high availability solution in different zones, replicated clusters using an open ABS on top of that. All, all the things is, is that you need to, to understand before starting, but it's very, very, very hard. This is good. And, and also, for example, just specifically with the point of a data recovery plan, not particularly as well living in this era of GDPR and having, you know, data protection officers and chief data officers and things like that. Do you still find that many companies, as you were saying, don't have a data recovery plan or aren't asking these questions? Sometimes when I am asking questions about the data recovery plan, the answer is we don't have any clearly defined. Okay, and and that's risk, and and I found that very 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 risky. Okay, but uh, it's not only because they a lot of companies say no no we have backups. Okay, but you have tried the restores. Do you have the the restore procedure really tested? Okay, because do your restore works? And not only that, how are that automated? Okay, how do you know that you need to do a restore? Is because someone uh, phones you at midnight? <laughs> or do you have any kind of alert? Or is the process automated uh, using, I don't know, any failover group, whatever? Okay, so these are the kind of questions that when you start digging it, uh, you find that more customers don't have a, a good answer uh, for that. and. Also, sometimes uh, uh, the customer say, okay, now is that uh, in Kubernetes, when we can start to using this new Kubernetes, Edu, that you have provided to us for using, I don't know, this kind of workloads, oh, for example, a development environment or a pre-production environment. No, no, no. We need to define first a set of tests to make sure that we are able to recover the data that we put in, okay? So there are a lot of customers that uh, it's hard for them to understand really the need uh, of, of, of that. Mm. Do you think that sometimes as well too that the cost reduction or cost optimization might be a part of that? Probably, probably. Um, I think that um, I think that uh, not sure if it's cost reduction maybe is uh, sometimes, you know, the typical mindset that um, I'm just doing backups, I'm fine, um, that won't happen to me, um, you know, I think that's uh, human things, okay. Um, it's something like uh, that probably if you are a big company and probably if you have a very good data recovery plan and probably um, if you do the things very well, for example, a ransomware attack wouldn't hurt you so much. But the truth is a ransomware attacks will hurt so much a lot of companies because a lot of companies don't have these procedures uh, well done because probably they are very hard to do well. And they are very time consuming and you need to uh, put a lot of not only money, a lot of time, resources, effort to make sure that you have your data recovery plan well defined, covering all the possible scenarios. And, you know, it's not only having a backup, it's where are your backups? So are the backups in the same, I don't know, network region or whatever that you have your workload? Uh, what happens if you have a regional outage? Are you going to handle that? So there are a lot of questions that you need to ask yourself. Okay. Now, something we talked about a little bit in the beginning uh, that I think a lot of people are interested in right now is we're very frequently talking about changes that are constantly happening, whether it's you know new versions <laughs> of Kubernetes every three months, whether it's new political changes in different countries, all these different things that are happening. Um, with Docker, all right? What has been your, your experience with Docker and how do you see the current situation 
are we going to be have to think about a post Docker future? Um, is this something that is going to be moving away from the Kubernetes uh, landscape oh. system? Is it going to be getting? Is it going to have to go through some transitions? How do you see it? Okay, I was talking with a colleague about that last uh, this about the announcement of the Docker deprecation in Kubernetes one twenty, I think. Um, but I think that's a clear example of the bad communication. Okay, mm. so that's a clear example that uh, you need to be very um, cautious when you say something to the whole world in this case. Okay, because the Docker deprecation in Kubernetes is a thing that won't affect probably only affects to Kubernetes administrators. Okay, so if you are not administering a Kubernetes, that won't affect you. So if you are a developer and you are developing for Kubernetes, you can still using Docker safely uh, if you want in your in your development uh, workflows. There are no changes uh, uh, on that. So there is no, 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 no more Docker. We need to find alternatives. Let's go jump to Portman or any other uh, runtime like Containerd. By the way, Docker uses Containerd, so it's 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 a it's a relationship that there are a lot of people that 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 don't know and they don't need to know the internals of Docker. Okay, no, Docker uses container, the container uses Rancy. Okay, that is that is good for techies, but but you as a developer, um, if your concern is developing applications and then putting into containers, maybe you don't need to know exactly how Docker works internally. Okay. Um, so probably the announcement of Kubernetes that they will deprecate Docker frightened a lot of people but um, will have almost zero impact probably unless you are a Kubernetes administrator. In this case, you need to find some alternative to Docker. Can have some implications if you are using, if you are running your CI-CD pipelines in Kubernetes, okay, and you are building uh, images in this CI/CD pipelines, and for example, if you are using some approaches like Docker out of Docker or Docker in Docker, maybe in these cases you can be affected and you need to change that. But if you are doing that, if you are running your CI/CD pipelines in Kubernetes, building containers inside the container using Docker in Docker, you are in a maturity level that probably you know that. So, so, so you know that that you need to change that by this uh, deprecation. So, you, so if you are in this maturity level, you are not frightened with this doc, uh, with this Kubernetes announcement. So basically, if what Kubernetes said about the bracketing Docker scaled you, that means that this announcement don't affect you. Probably. So, yeah. I so think that. I think that. Uh, yeah, like you said, is, is one thing is one thing is the actual message. Another thing is how it's communicated, in which style, and which form and taking into consideration the end users that actually are going to be affected by it. And as you said, the people that are, are going to be at such a level that it's, it's yes. something that they, that they should be able to manage. I think just in general, these things, you know, we, we, we see, we do see technologies, you know, rise, fall, they're born, they die, they migrate, they get absorbed. Um, some that tried to initially move away from Kubernetes originally then just started going back uh, realizing, you know, this is, this is the way things are going to be. So it's better for us to be to be in this than to be than to be against it. One of the uh, related to that, the changing wave about Kubernetes is I think that we have around four versions of Kubernetes each year. This year have just three for the COVID, and they are debating that is that will be permanent or not, but uh, doesn't matter. Uh, we have a few versions of Kubernetes each year. Okay. And that means that uh, you can be easily deprecated 
over a short period of time. Uh, also, I think that they are doing a very good way about the deprecation policy and their the new introductions policy about you know putting features in alpha then in beta for a couple of versions until reaching availability so i think that they are handling this very well but they are moving so fast okay that uh you are in risk to maybe i don't know maybe you, you start investigating kubernetes last year maybe using i don't know which was the version maybe kubernetes 116 okay and some of the some of the simple things but maybe maybe some of the manifest yaml that you are using in 116 won't be won't work in 180 and 120 sorry okay uh and they're moving so fast and the managed kubernetes um providers okay they are deprecating versions very fast so you need to, to constantly uh force to um, keeping to being uh you know updating yourself and make sure that you are uh, on place um, and this can be exhausting sometimes for for some companies that they know i just want to put that in kubernetes and let it work but okay but keep in mind that this kubernetes that you have now in three years will be absolutely outdated. completely outdated and nobody will be talking about it with that in mind as well too, like, uh, you know, I think this is something that's quite frequent in tech and, and, and actually I'll comment on this a little bit later too, is the importance of being an eternal student of just knowing that there are always going to be new things coming up. You're going to have to learn. How do you stay up to date? What, what, I mean, do you, do you read blogs? You do courses? Uh, what do you do? I read a lot of blogs, okay. more than books. I read some books, but I read more blogs than books because sometimes, um, for my job, I need to make sure that I understand the big picture more than the details, okay? Um, and then I dig the details when I need them, but I need I need to be aware about the, the, the big picture, about what are the new features or the precautions or about the new trending topics or the new waves or the everything. Okay, so I tend to 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 read a lot of a lot of blogs some books also about the topics that i really want to dig in okay sometimes i see videos but most time when i see videos about you know typical thing that you can see for example right now right now there are the kubecon videos on youtube available okay uh, sometimes i put these uh, videos on my secondary monitor when i'm working i'm just listening them and when i say there's a topic that maybe interests me i try to play some attention about the video stopping but it's just to gather some uh, uh, ideas the other thing that i, I think it's very helpful for me for learning is to write a blog. I write a blog and when I uh, choose a topic to write on my blog, uh, sometimes I write about things that I really know, uh, that I already know very well. And in this case, I simply write everything, but sometimes I choose a topic and then I do a little research on that. It's a topic that maybe interests me for any reason, for a project, for whatever. Okay, and, and, and that is the, uh, that is a very good way of learning. I think because forces you. So if you need to write something, you need to understand quite well what do you want to write. So then you are forced to to learn that. Okay. And the other way is um, I have a lot of pet projects. Okay. Zero finish it. A hundred percent unfinish it. But I I enjoy more the creation part because is when I learn a lot of um, the kind of technology that um, I I'm working. 
And could you give us, could you give us an example of one of those projects? Yes, right now, for example, I'm working on a library, okay, um, for doing console applications, a full screen console applications. Okay, I learned a lot using this library because I have to learn. Uh, I never did. I never knew how the console work in Linux, for example. So I have to learn a lot of new topics. Okay, that okay, that maybe it's not something that will save your job day, but it's funny and uh, everything. You know, it's for change. Okay. Also, for example, I write a very small library to do some kind of functional programming in the net. Okay, because I were. Uh, by this time, I was studying a bit of Kotlin and also some things about Scala. And okay, and you say, okay, oh, I like this kind of pattern of the language of the programming. Let's see how we can put that on 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 the net. Okay, and sometimes I try to do very very small utilities from a new kind of language that I'm learning. For example, um, I'm learning Go. Okay, because you know uh, if you want to really collaborate in Kubernetes and Docker, all this world is built using Go. So I'm learning, I'm learning Go. And for me, the best way to learn something is doing something. So I start to do very, very, very simple programs. So maybe, I don't know, a program that uh, downloads something from the internet and makes some analysis, a very small library to to deal with the Kubernetes API and do something with a cluster, I don't know. Uh, very little things, and that's that's usually how I how I try to be. Okay, very very good. Now, um, something about you know maybe maybe you had this as a project or not, but have you ever worked on an operator? Not an operator, really. A uh, controller, yes. Okay. Uh, Basically, you know the difference. Difference between an operator and a controller. Operator is a higher level of abstraction, which deals with an external project. Okay, uh, I have so I have never had the 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 need to build a fully operator. Okay, uh, controller, yes, a couple of times. Okay, uh, but. Really, to be honest, they were more like demos for talks because another thing that I enjoy very much is doing public talks about technology, talking in programming events. And uh, last year, I'm basically talking about Kubernetes. Okay. And uh, I had some talks about extending Kubernetes using uh, controllers, custom controllers and uh, operators. Okay. And, and, and I write a couple of sample easy operators for 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 showing the talks that's basically in production for customers really not because uh, the things that i needed to deploy uh, there's usually really an operator for that okay i thought right now i have to say that i'm thinking uh, to write uh, an operator for a specific need that i'm having with a customer okay but i don't know if i will end up with an operator or not Okay, that's yet to be decided. You will let us know. Um, uh, yes, well, basically it depends. Um, it depends on what the customer wanted to do. Okay. That's, and that's a really case. good point as well too, is that, and we, we talk about this a lot in the community is that you can't oblige your customers to use a technology that they simply don't need. You know, like, it, do you have, like you said, or is it maturity levels? How much data are we talking about in the case of storage or different things like that? 
um, what kind of uh, observability, availability, mobility, uh, what kind of uh, latency are we talking about? All these different factors that are going to come in there. You know, we don't need to answer a question that hasn't been asked. So like you mm -hmm. said, depending on, on, on the customer's needs, it's either going to be this solution or another solution. Um, is there always going to be a little bit of debate about exactly which one is going to work best for everybody? Some of it depends on preferences. As you said as well, depending on how much, how much information a customer is willing to give you that will also guide you towards one solution or another. Yep. Um, but I think those are really good points. Just a, and, and obviously we'll have to put a link um, to your blog later on when we, when we post all this stuff on, on social media. Now we're, we're getting to, to some of the really interesting stuff about you, right? So on your LinkedIn, it says that you have a master's degree in quantic uh, chromodynamics on blockchain with Calabi topology. Can you explain how you got that and uh, what recommendations you might give to others yes. for their LinkedIn yeah. profiles? I, I did the same thing that most, politi most Spanish politicians do, which is simply lie. Okay, that is because um, cultural fun fact for everyone. <laughs> no, no, that is that is just uh, of course a joke on my on my on my profile, and the joke came because um, I don't know maybe a couple of years ago, one year ago I don't remember time flies so fast. Uh, there was an, a scandal here in Spain where a lot of politicians had some master. In economics or something like that, for a university, I think that's uh, Universidad Juan Carlos, but I don't remember exactly which one was. Um, I think it was. Okay, but they uh, they never go to any class, um, never um, do any work. Just they yeah, have exactly. the master yeah. degree. Okay, so I just said, okay, if they have a master degree uh, invented, I can have mine too. Okay, so I I basically. Uh, choose three random things and put them together in uh, my fake master degree, okay? And I think that is um, the name of the university is Universidad Cifuentes, which was one of these politicians, okay? So <laughs> it's just, <laughs> but a small joke on my well, LinkedIn it's, profile. It's just, it's just funny is that because sometimes, you, know, you encounter all different kinds of people in these in these different technological ecosystems. And some people say, you know, I've been working on Kubernetes since 2012. And it's like, are you sure you have? It came out in 2012. Yes, well, I don't know, maybe a couple of months, three months in Twitter. I think that I saw a job offer that they were requesting 10 years of experience in Kubernetes. <laughs> so, <laughs> what? Uh, yeah, no, it's funny. And it just shows the lack of knowledge sometimes uh, in the human resources world of, ask for for lots of experience if we put 10 maybe we'll find somebody with five but it's like you simply can't ask those questions i think i saw the same meme um floating around on on twitter and on linkedin um now so we we've, we've talked about a lot of different stuff two other things we haven't talked about yet um that i think can relate to all this particularly when we're talking about mentality all right is that mm -hmm. you mentioned in 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 your twitter profile that you really really like heavy metal music right yes. um now some people might say heavy metal music isn't for everybody. I would disagree with that, and I would say it is. I also would say that because I think there is a kind of heavy metal music out there for everyone, right? Um, you have so many different kinds. You have melodic, you have jazz, you have yeah. grindcore, you have hardcore, you have new metal, you have power metal, you have thrash metal. You have all these different kinds of metal out there. And so I think really you just have to be open-minded enough to kind of test it out and try it out. Um, what has your experience been? I mean, how did you start listening to metal music in general? And just in the idea of being open-minded and the necessary mentality to work with these technologies that we're talking about and data on Kubernetes, maybe we can kind of relate those two things together. 
I didn't know who to answer. <laughs> don't worry, don't worry. But you just tell us about your metal experience. How did, when did you start listening to metal? When I was young, um, you know, um, I think that when I, probably, I think that when I when was in my hardest role-playing uh, time, okay, you know, dragons, princess, you know, all that stuff, and there are a lot of metal and probably probably someone some of the colleagues passed me maybe some cd or or, or maybe not cd maybe it was a, a tape okay now you have to listen that because they're very good and they talk about dragons and princesses and i don't know and probably and probably started uh, here but i, I like it uh, i like it and then i remember that i had um uh during some years, uh, once a month, I went to the disc store, okay, to the music store of my town, and I randomly choose one CD, uh, only by the, 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 I don't know the word. The covers, the portada. Yes, yeah, 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 la portada, yes only. If they were some dragon or some, you know, some warrior or... Or maybe the letters, I like the typography, maybe I, I, buy it. I, I, I bought that. Sometimes it was a total failure, <laughs> but sometimes I ended up by knowing a new group and and and, and music and and that's how and that's how it started. Uh, years later, well, you know, Spotify and basically Spotify make it very easier to discover new groups and, and yeah. But what what I, but what I think here is the easy transition is that in that same spirit of whether I'm going to read a blog, I'm going to watch a video, I'm going to listen to a podcast of something that I know nothing about and, and that you just have to just jump right in and maybe it'll work and maybe it won't. But I think that's a very recurring theme that we talk about a lot in our community is that it's probably not going to work on the first try. Uh, when I was talking to a guy who works for Red Hat and is very active in the Strimzy project, he said, you have to have a sort of DIY approach. Like there's going to be trial and error, there are going to be things that don't work, but don't worry about it. You know, just, just take that as part of the process. You know, there are yeah. going to be some setbacks and difficulties. Once again, I love the Lord of the Rings image. Um, you know, you don't get to throw the ring in Mount Doom in, in, in one day. It takes it takes three books and actually it takes a prequel with The Hobbit and, and all the other things that had to go along with it. Um, and another thing as well, too, that you mentioned in your profile, that I think I, I think it ties into this well, is craft beer. All right. And, you know, craft beer is uh, is you know only been growing in popularity internationally. Um, where near where you live, Barcelona is probably one of the the capitals we could say of that in terms of mm -hmm. in terms of Spain. Um, and I think also some people don't like it, but I also think there's so much variety out there that you just have to try. You know, you've got to try and, and see what works best for you. It's the same like um, metal music. There's a craft beer for everyone. You only need to find yours. Yeah. Okay, and that's really true because, for example, my girlfriend. She don't like beers. She don't like almost any beer, but they are a couple of craft beers that she enjoys. Okay. And it's good because I are the ones that I don't like. So we never fight. More, more for you and more for her. <laughs> oh, that's very good. Okay. She's more from Berliner Oasis, Lambics, and that kind of beers. I'm more for IPAs and and imperial stouts okay so that, that's my that's my the, the two flowers that i like most yeah but that's you have to identify what are the things that work for you and not expect that those things are going to work for everybody else yes yes um 
regarding about the so translating that to my my job or my kubernetes is okay I, in this case i need to find the experience that will work for every customer so i need to understand the customer what he what's his culture okay because um it's very hard to change the culture of a customer because uh, that's a very long 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 process okay sometimes happen but it's not usual um so basically you need to understand what's the best practices that will work best for for each customer okay and what you said before sometimes um we have failures okay and that's normal i always say that that a failure is good if you learn about that failure what happened why happened what's the problem most times the problem is not the technology or the 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 what you did okay most times the real reason of a failure is uh, the culture okay maybe i don't know maybe the thing that you created or you you did is good and works well but requires a level of uh, maintain maintainability or uh, maturity or whatever that the customer don't want to do that okay maybe i don't know maybe you don't need to to go to customer and say no we will do everything we will do a, i don't know blue green deployment infrastructure for making your deployment without um, downgrades okay without um, stopping anything you will have an sla of 100% everything but maybe they don't need that and they they don't want to deal with with you know um, all the requirements of using um blue green deployment so it's there are a lot of things that that you when you work with customers okay there are a lot of things that that you need to understand first what's your customer how he works maybe you can give of course you can give advices uh if i were you i will i think that we should do that okay but the end decision should always come from the customer because to be successful the customer needs to trust the thing that you did and it's very hard if you try to impose um him with yeah the customer needs to be the one leading i understand i think it's i think it's a very yeah. very good point and and because if not uh it's like you said there's a lack of trust there's not that kind of confidence that you want um to be able to move forward which is so interesting because like i always said we we talk so much about technologies. We talk about operators, about um, data sets, about all these different things. But at the end of the day, there's a very strong human and a very strong cultural element that seems to be part of every conversation we have because we're not talking about technologies. We're talking about them being implemented by people for people to solve problems. Um, and every company is in a different phase. Everybody could have a, a good day or a bad day. There are so many different factors that can influence that. Um, but I think that I think that's a very, very- Yes, strong. about that just there's a question that at least every customer sooner or later about kubernetes asked to me is that edu we can put databases on kubernetes okay that's 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 a typical question and the answer is maybe so it's technically possibly yes yes we can do that and it's hard it's not easy but uh it's easier over the time because for example there are appearing a lot of operators to automatically deploy your databases in high availability there we have a lot of uh, we have a lot of uh, uh a lot of uh, systems to manage the the persistent volume so 
probably uh, it's easier today to put some database uh, in Kubernetes than, I don't know, maybe two years ago. Okay, uh, also the building blocks, basic building blocks are the same, but right now we have uh, more abstractions on the top that help us a lot. Okay, but the question is, do you feel comfortable with that? Do you want that? Um, do you really need that? Because really having your databases in Kubernetes have some advantages in terms of Kubernetes is your only platform. You manage your database in the same way that you manage your code. Okay, so the, 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 the Kubernetes manifest are your single uh, truth. Uh, you don't need to, I don't know, think about um, other management, everything. That's good. Okay, um, but maybe if you have, I don't know, 10 databases and you will only put one database in Kubernetes and the only nine will be on the cloud or in your and your on-premises, maybe maybe you don't need that. So that's always this 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 kind of decisions. So I always say that it's possible to do, but it's best option for you. I don't know. And once again, coming back to the question of transparency, asking the right questions, getting the right information in the beginning. All of these different things that we talked about uh, in terms of mentality and then applying those with these wonderful examples of heavy metal and craft beer perfect um, <laughs> in terms of in terms of future things that we can be expecting to see in the kubernetes landscape the kubernetes ecosystem um, particularly re related to data is there anything that you could comment per, for example on data meshes or anything else that you see in terms of trends for the coming year i think that data meshes between one of the big I think the two meshes will be the two big things coming to Kubernetes. So data meshes and service meshes will be the, the, the two big things. Okay. And also I expect to see a lot uh, ground of databases, Kubernetes specific databases. Okay, we have some kind of these databases uh, right now, but I think that this will be one of the things that, that maybe we should start thinking, okay, if you are developing a cloud native application, maybe we can start forgetting about the traditional databases, okay? Um, we, all go, we also can forget maybe the traditional NoSQL databases and maybe we can go to a specific Kubernetes uh, databases. Um, I don't know exactly because this is, this is, you know, this is a fight between all the databases providers. So, and, and everything is aware that Kubernetes is right now leading the, 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 the battle or where, where most projects will run in the following year. So everything is trying to adapt itself to Kubernetes. Okay. But uh, in the same way that we are seeing a lot of, for example, message um, message brokers that are specifically built for Kubernetes with a high integration in Kubernetes that they are that they cannot run without Kubernetes. Uh, I think that we will start seeing a lot of new data stores, databases, um, specifically designed for cloud native Kubernetes applications. Very good stuff. Now we're getting to just about the end, and Edward, we have a tradition every time we have a fantastic guest as yourself is that while we are talking, our friend Angel, who you met at the very beginning, yeah. um, was creating an artistic interpretation of all the different things that we've been talking about. So, Gorka, <laughs> if you can share our screen so that Eduardo can see, can you see what uh, Angel did? Ooh, that's incredible. 
we're pretty lucky that Ankel has enough talent to get all these different ideas that we've been talking about in the last hour and get them all into one place. Um, so anyway, we'll be sending that to you. We'll be putting it out on, on, on Twitter, on LinkedIn. Um, anyway, Edward, I think we got a lot of great uh, takeaways from here. We talked about a lot of stuff in, in, in just about an hour. Um, Gorka, can we go back to my screen? Um, and one other thing that I want to mention, um, Edward, before we finish, is that uh, for the last few weeks, what we've been doing every time to say thanks to the people who are participating as speakers is that our community makes a donation to a, a foundation in the United States called The Last Mile, which teaches programming to folks who are in, incarcerated in prisons so that they can have better possibilities to get jobs when they, when they finish and once, they, once they're released. And one of the things that I think is so important about what we talked about um, and what you mentioned about the importance of reading blogs, writing blogs, trial and error, you know, going to the music store and buying a, an album just because of the cover, this kind of spirit as something that we're trying to also transmit um, with our conversations with, uh, with this foundation, uh, The Last Mile. Um, so anyway, thank you so much for your generosity, your time, your ideas. Uh, hope that everyone um, enjoyed it as much as I did. I definitely learned a lot as usual. Um, Edward, we'll need to get the link for your blog so you can just send it to me on Slack so we can put yep. that as well so that people can follow you. Um, also on Twitter, um, you tweet in Catalan, but also in English and maybe- I tweet can... mostly in Spanish. Okay. okay. Sometimes I do some tweets in Catalan where there are some local things about yeah. Igualada and some friends. And sometimes I put something in English, but not so much. Okay, but it's a good excuse for everybody to learn other languages <laughs> and things like that. So we always appreciate that. Edward, I hope that 2020 will end soon. And then in 2021, we can have a beer and listen to some heavy metal together. Okay, perfect. Great. Perfect. Thanks so much Thank for your you time. So much. Thank, Thank you so everybody. much for and inviting thanks to me. Our tech, yeah, and thanks to our technical team. We got Gorka Gomez from uh, uh, Gaste Equipo. And we got a lot of other people involved in the team as well. Courtney Nickerson, Iker Arfe, uh, Miguel Nicolás Rodriguez, Ari Vandenbossi, and Mike Carr. Thanks to everyone for making this possible. We'll see you in Slack. Thank you. Bye-bye. See you. Bye. Bye-bye.